Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence ours and theirs. Andrew Goldberg is the co-creator, writer, and executive producer of the Netflix animated series Big Mouth, which he developed with his childhood best friend, Nick Kroll, and Mark Levin and Jennifer Flackett. Prior to that, Andrew wrote for Family Guy. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the Puberty Podcast. Thank we you for are so happy to have you here. We've known each other since we were in puberty. Before we were sure, in puberty. Yeah, yeah. I've known Andrew since he was in first grade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I watched him go through puberty in second grade. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd known you were watching, I would have been so much more humiliated. Um, I was, yes, I was, I, I was, it hit me early and it hit me hard. Hit you early and yeah. it hit you hard. And yeah, so I have known Andrew for nearly 40 years. Yeah. And it is such a a lovely, lovely thing to have you here with us. It's like a really special, wonderful thing. And I know Cara feels the same way, even though she hasn't known you for 40 years. I do, but you have this really (laughs) sweet, like longevity. No, not that's not my word. You have a sweet, just a mushy look on your face. It's like it's another (laughs) sibling sitting at the table. It is like another sibling. It is. I'm I'm an only child. And growing up, the Krolls were in many ways the closest thing I, I had to siblings. Yeah. Andrew was my brother who actually did his homework <laughs> and got good grades. And my 
my other brothers uh-huh. were the ones who didn't. <laughs> um, Andrew's family took Nick to China. We did. Yeah. Could you imagine sending one of your kids to across the world? I don't know. I can. Yeah. No, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it with no. my parents. <laughs> um, yeah. My parents, the first summer we were all at sleepaway camp, my parents went to China for three weeks. And I was like, weren't you worried at all about something happening? My mom was like, nope. We were really excited to go. Instead, Nick went to China with you and your parents, who are now big mouth famous. Sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we based, you know, I think both of the kids' families are kind of exaggerated versions of our families. That would be an interesting episode to do, just like breaking down every character in Big Mouth and how close they right. are to the to the real thing. Yeah, I would say the one that's least close is my dad. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the thing in terms of like as we were building the parents that like really like we started from was just that, that very much kind of coincides with, with what you guys are doing now is how much they talk to us about puberty and about sex. And your family and especially your mom, I think, was much more more open and, and vocal with you guys and really spoke about it. Whereas in my home, like it was not it was just not spoken about at all. And I think like I've found that myself and my wife are much we intentionally much more like your parents were where and we do find ourselves at certain moments feeling like we're we're being Elliot and Diane from the show <laughs> where we're just like sharing so much. And it's like, what are these things coming from our mouths? And our kids, I have two kids, and I think one is more open to that than the other. The other recently in one of these conversations was like, well, I'm sorry, I don't write for a show that's all about sex. <laughs> and they have not seen the show, but they, they've gleaned. How old is he? Eight. Uh, eight. So... <laughs> What's wrong with you, kid? Why don't you write for an animated I, yeah. show about sex at eight years old? That's unacceptable. And, but it was it was so funny because it was like one question was like, well, are should we pump the brakes a little? Are we are we being too you know forceful? And then the other question is just like, is there any way to do it right? Like, is mm. there a thing where like no matter how you do it, at some point your child is going to be like, you're doing it wrong? Yes. I mean, and right. are they going to make a show about me when I grow up? That's my Probably. biggest fear. Yes, payback, baby. Karma's a bitch. It will be a very funny show. Oh well, yeah. it will be. But there's no right. It's it's there's there's no way to do it right. Yeah, this whole parenting thing, and so we do just have to get comfortable in wondering and fantasizing about how they're going to remind us that we got right. it wrong. Which, as they get older and older, they start doing in real time. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sure you're living that. For people who don't know, Big Mouth is a very singular show, even in the world of bizarre animated adult mm-hmm. shows. Um, it's still incredibly unique. Can you tell our audience who may not have binge watched up through season four of Big Mouth what it's about? Yeah. And the ways in which it is kind of meaningful. We know that you can talk about the dirty part, but also the right. the part of it that is kind of meaningful to you and important to you. Yeah. I mean, it's a very emotional, very dirty animated show about kids who are 13, 14, going through puberty, falling in love for the first time. We speak with the sex educator named Shafia Zaloom, who works up in the Bay Area, who's amazing. We talk to her all the time. And what she always talks about is being a sexual person with integrity. 
And I think in many ways, that's kind of what these kids are figuring out. And the way Andrew, uh, the, the character based on me, puts it in season two is like, can I be horny and still be a good guy? Mm -hmm. To me, that is one of the real central questions of the show is, can you be horny and be a good person? How do you how do you navigate that? And I think also one of the this one thing that we found really meaningful, and it was especially when we brought in this character that David Thewlis plays so beautifully called the Shame Wizard. And in season two, and that the show is very much about shame and about talking about the things that we usually don't talk about. Because when you don't talk about puberty or sexuality, with kids, the the message is that there's something wrong with it. It's it's shameful. It can't be spoken. And so they feel like they're the only ones going through it and they're alone and that there's something wrong with them. And I think for me, the show is very much about dispelling that feeling. And where does the shame wizard in your journey of puberty, where would the shame wizard kind of appear over your shoulder and what kinds of experiences? I think it was, and it's like what happens with Andrew in, in season two, where it's like, I'm an out-of-control masturbator. There's something wrong with me. And I think part of it was that nobody really talked about it, and I'm doing this secret thing, and it must be so bad if nobody's talking about it. So that was a big part of where the shame wizard came from. It was kind of after season one at one point, I was like, I think the the hormone monsters and the hormone monsters in the show are really kind of the personification of the kids' ids who urge them to screw and fight or and, and have those kind of violent or horny feelings. And I was like, I feel like he needs a nemesis. And it feels like that, that the nemesis is shame. And then um, Nick was kind of the one who was like, yeah, but it's not a monster shame. It's more of a wizard. It's more clever. It kind of burrows your way its way in and kind of comes in sideways and and really tricks you into shaming yourself. So if you were going to go back to the Andrew of puberty mm -hmm. and who was furiously masturbating in his bedroom <laughs> while well, feeling... not just in his bedroom, not really. really. <laughs> Sorry. Furiously masturbating all over the tri-state area and feeling deeply ashamed. New England too, but go on. <laughs> Sorry, Maine. Can't forget about masturbating at camp. Um, and feeling deeply ashamed. What is it that an adult in your life, a parent, a coach, a, somebody who you trusted, what is it that they could have said to you? that would have either kept the shame wizard at bay or right. maybe even presented the shame wizard from being in your life at yeah. that time. Well, I think at least like with our kids, like we just introduced the idea that masturbation exists and it's okay to touch your genitals to make yourself feel good. And that, and I think just by presenting it as something that is there and exists, hopefully makes them feel to on some level less shame. But I think it's, I think it's hard because I think that we're kind of working against a whole society that has, you know, evolved over hundreds or thousands of years. And I think that there's also, I think, parenting, it's uncomfortable to talk about. And I think so much of where, of, of the kind of thing of like, don't talk to your kids about it is in some ways selfish because it's easier to not have these conversations that make you uncomfortable. So you're, I think you're really 
working against a, a whole society that has, has a, a slightly different agenda. And and you talk about shame, but I think it's important to distinguish embarrassment mm-hmm. from shame. Sure. Right? So yeah. when you talk to your kids about masturbation or, mm-hmm. or any number of topics, yeah. they may be embarrassed by yeah. the conversation, right? They might yeah. feel uncomfortable or awkward, yeah. but that's completely different from shame. Yes. Yeah. And guilt and shame. Right. Guilt, that, that feeling of like guilt is, oh, I did something wrong. Shame is I right. am wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always felt that as parents, one of the greatest things we can do in conversation with our kids is push it to the point of maybe a little bit of embarrassment because then mm-hmm. you know you're kind of done with the conversation. Yeah. And never let in the shame piece. I mean, right. that's really, right? That's mm-hmm. the balance. So yeah. I feel like that's one of the things that Big Mouth has accomplished is identifying the difference and yeah. helping kids have language around the difference, mm-hmm. which is huge. Yeah. And then another thing that we just do at work and in our room is that Nick and I, I think from the very beginning, set the tone by being very open about you know <laughs> what we did when we were that age and how we felt and our shortcomings. And I think just creating that space where everybody in that room felt comfortable sharing the most embarrassing things that happened to them. And I think in in some way, I, I feel like I've brought some of that home where like I will share with my kids when I do something embarrassing or something from my youth that that they would find embarrassing to let them know that these things happen and that you can come out the other side not being in pervert prison or whatever or, or wherever. <laughs> does yeah. that, does that, does <laughs> it, I, it probably does. Eat your peas or you're going to go to pervert prison. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I do think we have this idea that we're supposed to be perfect parents and appear perfect to our kids. And, and that whole concept right. is so backwards yeah. because— First of all, we know that failure leads to success. We mm-hmm. know that you, until you fail a number of times, you can't really succeed or find yeah. true happiness. So like, what are we doing projecting this image of absolute perfection? Like my yeah. childhood was great and everything's great in my day when mm-hmm. really what you want your kids to do is get comfortable with that imperfection yeah. with, because they are going to experience it. So I don't, this whole idea of of the world telling parents to look a certain way and portray themselves a certain way to their kids right. is very counterproductive. And I think Mm -hmm. your journey, Andrew, as a parent is we hear it a lot that people who didn't grow up, I mean, not everybody has Mm -hmm. written hit shows about puberty, but people who didn't grow up in families that talked about puberty have chosen another path for themselves as they parent their own children and they're choosing to talk about it. And sometimes they overcorrect and, you know, maybe they share too much or they tell a story they shouldn't have told or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as Cara said, we're all going to screw up. It's inevitable that we're going to yeah. screw up. And you are consciously choosing a different path. I mean, the Big Mouth Writer's Room, it's like being in a group therapy session. It is. It really is. It's its this interesting thing that I realized like pretty recently that it's like we basically what, what I do every day is I take the traumas from my childhood and I turn them into something funny so that they're less frightening to me and anybody who's watching them, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Does it work? I I think so. I don't know. What does working even look like? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because when Nick was here, we recorded an episode with him about being a late bloomer. Uh-huh. And as we were talking about his experience as a late bloomer, yeah. he said, I am sitting here and I 
work every day on a show about puberty and I am still having visceral emotions of anger and frustration and trauma about having been a late bloomer, even though this is something I talk about and think about all the time. It was like it all came flooding back Mm -hmm. to him. And so on that note, can we flood you a little bit with some memories of your experience as an early bloomer, right? And, And can you talk to us a little about First of all, what did that mean for you? I right. mean, you know, today it, it might mm-hmm. mean second grade because right. puberty is happening earlier. But for you, for practically, when when did you go into puberty, and what were those feelings like, and how you know it's it's the story is written through the show. But if it, for those who haven't mm-hmm. watched it, if you can describe yeah. a little bit, I mean, for me, I I think it was probably more like fourth or fifth grade that it really hit me and. The hair was really the first thing. It was just like hair, just like this hairy beast. And this thing that we we put in the show is my father actually, when I was in like fifth grade or something, made my mother wax my upper lip <laughs> because I shouldn't have to shave. Which right there was like, I was like, there's something wrong with you. You're a hairy beast that needs to be fixed. And, oh, that's and, so interesting. And I remember, and and for for a long time, it it actually. Didn't it only it grew it back in in certain parts? So I had like a full beard, except right in the middle here, <laughs> it wasn't growing in. And Nick used to call it the reverse Hitler <laughs> because that was the one place where I wasn't growing. Here. Captain Andrew. Yeah. So I mean, the hair was was really the really first thing, and then like yeah, the horniness, like just thinking all the time about girls, and also thinking like how much is too much? Like what's like is there? <laughs> What like and and it was a real question for me and it's and it's so funny like talking to Nick now as adults because all those feelings that you talk about that Nick had like that was really internal you know I think that like like I wasn't thinking about that when I thought about Nick like like I you know if you were saying like what's your best friend Nick like like short might have been in the top ten of yep. the things that I used to describe definitely him, but. But no pubes? That wouldn't have like that never would have, like like I just wasn't thinking about that. But for so, Nick, I think, and I think that's an interesting lesson for all kids that like, and for all people in general, that we think that what's bothering us, that everybody in the world yeah. is thinking about that whenever they look at us. But everybody's got their own shit going on. You know, they're in in some ways like they're probably not thinking about what you're worried about yourself nearly as much as you think right. that pimple is not yeah. as big yeah. as it looks to you. But right. what, what were you feeling like you 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 walk into fourth or fifth mm-hmm. grade and you're hairy, right? right. And you're probably yeah. tall as in the show, right? You went through growth right. spurts. Yes. I was I, I'm I'm five foot six now and that is the height that I was when I was thirteen. Okay. So like, so it. here you are, <laughs> right? A standout. Yeah. Like how did that's how did it. you feel? Vanessa's <laughs> nearly just, crying just, right now. Just, just, when I was just a little forty year old man in the seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> you still had your hair. I know, that's true. I had hair. Yeah. That, you are oh a full headed for For those of you man. not yeah. in the studio with yeah. us, Andrew has a beautiful, shiny, bald. Oh no, 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 no. But a full it's mustache. It's a podcast. I have a huge full set of hair. It's flowing. He it's, has Fabio's luscious locks. Mid back, mid back. Butt crack. Mid butt crack. (laughs) You can braid your butt hair with your the hair on your head. Leave it together into one unit. (laughs) Excellent. We'll have to see that. Just hair. We'll have to see that after the podcast. But but I 
the pimple. Yes, that was another thing that was like around like sixth grade or fifth grade, like my skin really broke out and it was really bad. And, and you were first. You were first, first, first. So did you have, were you embarrassed? Were you awkward? Did mm-hmm. you, was there a little view? I mean, with all the the sexual feelings, were yeah. did you own it? Like what, what was the emotional experience like? The emotional experience of acne was rough. I mean, like I grew my bangs down. I wore like concealer, which was probably a huge mistake. And I went to this, this dermatologist who was such an asshole. And then it was actually when I took, I started taking Accutane in like eighth grade and that really helped and really cleared me up. But I, I really vividly remember for some reason I got it right before I was going to camp. And so I brought it to camp and I was about, I was like, I'm going to start taking it. And then like, I was alone in the bunk. I don't know where everybody was, but I'm looking at the Accutane and I started reading all the side effects and they're like horrifying. And one of them was, I think like penile bleeding or something. And I was like, I can't take this. And I'm really like weighing. I'm like, I'm like, I really don't want acne, but I really don't want my <laughs> dick to bleed. Like, like I'm like weighing it. Like, what do, do I take this or not? And I, I chose to wait until I got home. Because, you know, if you're going to bleed out your penis, you, know, you want to do it in the comfort of your own home. You really do. But I, but that was really good for me. And um, how did you make your way to the dermatologist, right? You're not talking about your puberty with your parents. You're not asking them yeah. if masturbating is normal or not. You're not having those conversations. But at some point, yes. your skin is bad enough. Somebody's buying yeah. you concealer. Yeah. Someone's taking you to the dermatologist. How, like, how does that evolve? Yeah, I mean, we must have spoken about it that way. I think that was a safer thing to talk mm-hmm. about because it wasn't about sex. Right. Yeah. It was about your skin. Yeah. No, Andrew, it's your and, skin. And it's it not was, about your hairy balls. Well, yeah. it was fixable, right? Right. It was sort of the, the acne pieces. Mm-hmm. It's clinical. It's yeah. solvable. There are steps you can take. Yes. Whereas the feelings of, of you know, yeah. sexual impulse, uh-huh. not exactly right. solvable in the yeah. same way. And right? you would think the mustache wasn't fixable. My father did find a solution, <laughs> which was wax it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their umbras. It's why we say that the umbra may be your first bra, 
but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors ready-to-eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never-frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press, pause, or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. 
You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. So what age does your child not want to hang out with you anymore? Around 11. 11? Yeah, it pretty much happens overnight. Hmm. I'm journalist Rita Ninen. I've covered everything from wars to the White House. But for me, the hardest job is parenting. And I'm child psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore. Each week, I take your parenting questions on the Ask Lisa podcast. We cover everything from toddlers to college students and we'll help you know what to do and when to worry. Subscribe for free to Ask Lisa, the psychology of parenting, wherever you get your podcasts. So you're wondering, you're confused. You're in bunks alone reading <laughs> package inserts. You're the only person in the America who yeah. reads package inserts. Who reads the side effects. Yeah. yeah. Did it affect your friendships? Like, did it affect your friendship with Nick? I know you said you didn't think of him that way, but to be so physically developed differently than he was at that stage, did it make you feel less connected to him? Did it make you feel lonely? Like, kind of what what was the friendship landscape like? I don't think it did affect my friendship. Certainly not with Nick. To me, in the moment, I didn't feel it. I think, you know... Nick Nick was more athletic than I was. And the fact that he was smaller made us like even match up. Like mm-hmm. playing, we used to play basketball in his room oh my God. like on those freaking little hoops for hours and hours and hours and hours. The mini hoops just back oh, and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. And commentating yeah. as he went because yeah. the, the talking was as important as was, the basketball. And if he was my size, he would have kicked my ass. So it was kind of fortunate that I was this big oaf that could kind of push him around. <laughs> Were you a forward on the basketball team in eighth pa- grade? I was the power forward. <laughs> On the Solomon Schechter eighth grade basketball team. Oh my team, God. Posting so up in the paint. Yeah. 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 Dunking. Yes. Uh, on the mini hoop. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it didn't affect. And what about the other, right? So, like, it, we're so focused on you and Nick because obviously yeah. we both know you and the show. But, like, what about the constellation of other friends? Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what I want to know about. Did, did you have the experience that so many guys talk about mm-hmm. where? They looked so much older than they were Uh that they felt like the world was asking them to make decisions they weren't ready to make. Or they just, you know, it just, they weren't able to be kids in the same way because they looked like little men. I don't know that I did feel that way. I think, I don't know. I've always been kind of overwhelmed by the world. Maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you, you solved it. Whoa, breakthrough. <laughs> Welcome okay. to group therapy yeah, here. Great. It's because of my stupid pubes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything comes down to uh-huh. one core. Right. I mean, yeah, I, no, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I hadn't considered that, but maybe. I find, you know, I have, a, I have a lot of kids who I've taken care of over the years. And then I actually had a kid who's a really early bloomer. And the experience feels fairly universal in the sense that whether or not a kid articulates it, the 
ones who look older faster, there is, look, there's a lot of social cred that goes along with mm-hmm. that. And and I think it's really important to to acknowledge that, right. you know, you were the power forward yeah. on the eighth grade basketball team. And mm-hmm. that's, right? There's cred Right. There. And like I had a beard in high school, so I mean, like I could buy beer right? from friends. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, occasionally that cred comes along with, hey, you want to, you know, come over here and do this thing with us, fill in the mm-hmm. blank, whatever you want, you know, sex, drugs, nah, shoplifting, doesn't matter. Nobody wanted to do matter. anything with me. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the ideal childhood. <laughs> you had all the upsides and none of the downsides. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting because that's the most common thing I hear from boys who are early bloomers is just that they've been right. in... That you know, we always call them sticky situations, which is uh-huh. so funny. It's such a perfect, sure, you know. I was in those, but not <laughs> in the way that you're describing. A lot of them. Do you remember how much sex ed or health education we got at Solomon Schechter? Like we've established, oh. your parents did not provide you with a lot of info. Do you remember, like? Were you getting any information from anywhere about what was happening to your body? Like, were you searching for explanations or seeking out other people who could tell you what was going on? No, I don't like I don't like even even into high school, like sex ed was so minimal and so clinical. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't it, it wasn't like how to live. It was more like science class. How not to die. Yeah. Yeah. I so I don't, you know, like and so where you end up getting it is like from your friends and your your friends' older brothers, which is the worst place to get. Oh my god. <laughs> I can yeah. oh, knowing all the players, I can only yeah. imagine how poor those sources yeah. were. And I, I remember I had a friend, I one of my favorite stories is he found in his in his parents uh in, in like his, his father's home office, he found a bong and he called Uh, our older friend who was a year older, who was, you know, like 10 at the time. So he knew stuff and he described it to him and he was like, oh, that's a crack pipe. And so he was, his poor kid, his poor nine-year-old kid was like walking around for until he confronted his parents and asked them if they did crack. Like he he thought his parents were crackheads, but like it was just a classic example. Because 10-year-olds know everything. Right. You have, yeah, you really, it's like the older siblings. And like, I feel like like at your house, you guys had like books and stuff. Yeah. About like. What's happening to me and where did I come from? Right. Yeah. There was, oh, I do remember there was a video and I think it might've been at Salman Schechter that they showed us for sex ed, which was, am I normal? And it was about this kid who was going around asking the question, am I normal? And to one of the one of the people he went and asked it was the zookeeper at the zoo. And the zookeeper was like, I well, I've seen a lot of sex, animal sex, of course. <laughs> Which was like, are we supposed to be going to our local zookeepers? That's called like avoidance. Yeah. Like they're going to the zookeeper. Yeah. Oh my god. I love how that's but the yes. thing you remember from yes. the sex. Yeah, that was that's the that's the the most memorable Did thing. Did we from the watch sex the ed. Nova video? Wasn't there oh, the like know. Nova birth video? I just remember this am I normal kid going around asking the zookeeper about sex. Oh, poor kid. Yeah. I feel so badly what for him. What a question. So, <laughs> so do you feel like you have stepped into this role where you have become a little bit the sex educator of a generation? <laughs> I hope not. I don't know. I think, you know, I, it, it's it's so funny with this because really like first and foremost, we're a comedy show and we're 
trying to be funny. And one of the ways that we try to be funny is by being very honest. And so, I, you know, I don't know if I'm necessarily trying to educate, but we are definitely trying to be honest, emotionally honest, and honest to the feelings that we had and the feelings that we feel like kids nowadays have. Because we do, and, you know, we really take a lot of efforts to talk to teenagers, you know, during the course of writing each season and and talk to them about, like, what are the things that are on your guys' mind? Because it's, it's, you know, it changes over the years, both in terms of what you can remember and what the world is like for them. Have you been talking to kids over the last year as they've been in various forms of lockdown? Yeah. And, and what have they said? You know, they, they have this sexual curiosity, this sexual mm-hmm. hunger, all these drives, and they're being told, you know, don't go connect with yeah. people even closer than six feet or mm-hmm. you could die or you could. And so what are they saying to you about how they reconcile those yeah. two sides of their world? Well, I think already, even before the pandemic, this generation of kids had a little bit of less face-to-face contact with each other and and a lot of their interaction, both with their friends and with people that they were hooking up with and 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 that is is very much through social media and through their phones. And I think this exacerbated that. I think the other thing that we heard from teenagers was how much time they had spent with their family. And they had really different experiences. Some felt like it was amazing getting to really know my family in a way that I didn't before. And some were like, I've got to get out of here. My family's driving me insane. And some felt both of those things at the same time. I think that's one of the things we heard. And then anxiety feels like it's, you know, it's the the emotion of the decade. It already was, I think, both because of what's happening in the world with politics and then and then the, the pandemic just made it seem even more like everything's kind of not safe. And I think there was also this this interesting thing with younger kids, especially who are too young to get the vaccine that we saw with my kids, which is when adults started getting vaccinated, we were like, okay, back to normal. And to tell kids for a year and a half, be careful, everything is dangerous. And then to suddenly be like, okay, it's all fine. Probably even kids who did get vaccinated, it was like a real kind of, it's just a, a real shift that you're not prepared for. It was very confusing. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I will say Um, Because I gave vaccines for many months, and as the age started to drop, I was vaccinating younger and younger kids. And then, of course, we plateaued at this Uh point, and we're now kind of it's looking like it's going to be midwinter before Mm -hmm. the younger kids, kids under 12, can get the vaccine. And the 12 to 15-year-olds in particular were really articulate about telling me that if they had younger siblings, they really felt a sense of... I don't know what the word is, but um, sort of anger and mm-hmm. frustration on their behalf right. that the adults in the world who those kids stayed home to protect yeah. couldn't get out of the house fast enough and right. go start living their lives. Yeah. And here are these kids who are still waiting patiently uh-huh. and trying to live safely. And they don't see the same respect from the older generation. They sure. see adults just, you know, YOLO, I got to yeah. And I really heard them loud and clear and thought, what an interesting. That's a good point. Right? Yeah. What an interesting experience. And we should all be doing what we can do 
to protect those kids. They did yeah. that for us. Yeah. How are we not doing it for them? Yeah, right? we, I mean, and, and, and in that same way of like trying to show kids, like we're not perfect. Like we apologize to our kids because totally. we realized at some point we're like, we, we've not been fair. We've not, we've been totally insensitive, like just behaving like now that we're vaccinated, everything's perfect and expecting you guys to just flip a switch. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I love about Big Mouth is actually just the emotional intelligence and sensitivity that's part of it. I think the puberty stuff is great and hilarious and important and honest and authentic. But the way you have woven in more and more with each season, Mm -hmm. the acknowledgement of how hard the feelings can be, how Mm -hmm. complex, how confusing, how lonely yeah. um, and the season four on anxiety yeah. it's like it couldn't have been timed yeah better um it's what's the tito the, the mis- anxiety, anxiety mosquito. yeah mosquito? we we usually kind of build a theme into each season and, and the theme of our last season was anxiety and we wrote we really wrote it before the pandemic i mean we knew that it was going to come out around the time of the presidential election so we knew that anxiety was going to be the mood we we didn't know about the pandemic. And there was a, there were moments where we were like, oh, should we be going back and adding stuff and, and, and referencing the pandemic? And it felt like, no, it's because that's the subtext that everybody's watching it in, especially when it, when it came out last winter, everybody was stuck at home watching it. And I hope in that same way that like the season about shame, you know, a lot of people felt like, oh, thank you for like saying these things out loud because it, it relieved my shame. I I hope that 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 it was the same way where like by seeing these kids going through anxiety, that it was helpful to people. And for us in particular, like right in the anxiety season was kind of emotionally taxing. And one of the most important things was figuring out a way out of it. And about halfway through, we we had a therapist come in Barry Michaels. Yes, I got his name right. <laughs> and uh, he was great because he came in and he ta- we, we talked about anxiety and we talked about ways out of anxiety. And his, his biggest, you know, there's, there's so many different tools. There's, there's breathing, there's meditation. Um, but his biggest thing is gratitude. And, and that practicing gratitude consciously can really relieve your anxiety. And it was it was wild because we did it in a room together, talking out loud about things we're grateful for. And there were some of us, myself included, who were like, it's scary to talk about things you're grateful for because you feel like they might get taken away from you if you speak them out loud. The gratitude. The gratitude I was really helpful. Zach Galifianakis' yes. gratitude. Yeah. Well, and you guys did some kind of curriculum work around that on social media yeah. and you posted Netflix, videos. Yeah, Netflix, Netflix made created those. all their, that stuff. And it's, their marketing team is did such a great job with that. They really, won an Emmy for it. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Like I, I love that the show itself is like a encapsulation of puberty. It's like gross and funny and beautiful all at the same time. And I think that's really lovely. So one of the things that we ask Um, We asked Nick about being a late bloomer and we spent a lot of time like we did with you talking about what was hard about it. And with you, I'd love to also hear what are some skills or kind of qualities about yourself that you think you developed because you were an early bloomer? Like what's the Mm. kind of silver lining of having been an early bloomer besides, of course, having been the power forward on the great basketball team? 
Yeah, the silver lining of being an early bloomer, I think, I don't know. It's, I mean, and, and it's, it's also like, are the, do I, do I experience these things because I'm an only child, because I was an early bloomer, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very much, I'm an only child, but I have the kind of first child sort of personality of like, just like very, very competent and organized. And I wasn't always like that. And that evolved for me when I was a little older, when I was kind of on the other side of puberty. And I wonder if maybe- When you were like 12? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but I wonder, I wonder if, uh, because I was, I was an early bloomer physically, but I was a late bloomer in the sense of like, I wasn't a really good student when I was younger. I wasn't really very mature when I was younger. And that kind of happened more around like high school and especially college. And I wonder if being on the other side of puberty before other people kind of made me mature in that way a little bit faster. Or less of a distraction, maybe. Like you had gotten that right. done with so you could focus on cleaning up your mess. Right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because. <laughs> the mess that I left behind. <laughs> and I don't mean like changing your sheets. Sure. Yeah. No, the emotional mess. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you've got two kids and, you know, they're sort of in this world of what you do and also in this world mm -hmm. of, of physical and emotional development. And there are a couple things that I, I'm curious about. One is what do you or did you wish for them in mm -hmm. terms of their trajectory, uh, you know, early, totally, you know, mid, mid, mid course yeah. or later. And then the second is sort of, is there a piece of you that wonders if that maturity that you felt out the back end was really just, we ask kids as they're entering this transformative phase to just trust. You're going to look great. You're uh, going to love your body. You're going to feel confident. It's all going to work out. And that's a lot to ask someone who has no idea if they're going to have hair, what their acne situation is going to be, how tall they're going to end up, yeah. how curvy they're going to be. And so I'm wondering if the fact that you got there and you're like, okay, this is the end point. This is where I'm getting to. That's the the relief of it, mm -hmm. which might be the silver lining of early puberty. It may, you know, none of us like everything about ourselves, but we get comfortable with who we are mm -hmm. after a while. And it's such a big, heavy ask as parents to say to your kids, like, trust me, yeah. you're going to get through this whole period and you're going to like who you are at the end. We're going to get you there. They're like, no, not necessarily, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering the path that you wish for your kids based upon the path that you had. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a, a, there's two things that come to mind. One is just like the brass tacks thing of like, oh, I kind of hope that they're not too early because it's lonely and scary to be the first. And more than that, you just kind of like you hope what, what everybody wants for their kids, for them to be happy and for them to be good people mm -hmm. is really it. And so when I'm like, oh, I hope they're not first, it's really I hope they're not unhappy. That's I hope right. I hope they don't feel bad because they're first. Mm -hmm. Like if, you know, if there was nothing surrounding it, sure, be the first person to go through puberty in your grade. If right. it's if it's not alienating, right. you know. But what you know all too well, because you work in this space all day, every day, is that there is going to be a moment of unhappiness no matter when you yeah. go through it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it it's hard to be first and it's hard to be last and it's hard to be, you mm -hmm. know, on time, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, again, like I think what one of the things our show is about is that being a person is hard and being a kid is especially hard. 
because you have all the problems of being a person and less power. And so mm-hmm. how do you how do you advise parents? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> you, go. you came to the right place. Okay. What do they need? Yeah. <laughs> how do you advise parents in terms of building empathy right. among their kids for other kids when it's a hard yeah. enough situation for a kid to go through? Right. Then how do we help our kids be thoughtful and kind about what someone else is going through? Yeah. I mean, it, here's to me, the hardest part of this is you can tell them whatever they want, but really what they do is what they see you do, you know? Because like like we we can tell our kids not to interrupt each other and us all we want, but when my wife and I can't stop interrupting each other, that tells them like, oh, that's bullshit what they're telling us. So that, that's the hardest thing is you have to kind of behave yourself when you have kids, which kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like a total bummer. Yeah. <laughs> they, okay. do what, they do what we do and right? not what but we isn't say. That, isn't that the thing? That is is that so it, true. It's, they do what you model. They don't do and what I you think that, them, I mean, I think that empathy sounds a lot like, hey, this is hard. And hey, I'm actually going to name what's going on for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. So that it's not a mystery and it's not shameful. I'm also not going to dump all my mm-hmm. shit all over you. Yeah. Um, so that you have my worries that I had. And mm-hmm. that's the, that's the balancing act. It's yeah. like kind of being there and being open, but also not projecting mm-hmm. your experience onto them, which can be, yeah. which can be hard. Mm-hmm. Well, naming it is a really interesting point because that's another thing that I've kind of learned as we've spoken to kids so much over the last few years is that that naming things and labeling and, and identity and, and labels are so important to kids now in terms of forming their communities. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think part of that just has to do with how the world changed. Because like when, when we were growing up, like our community was the people we went to school with and the people we saw every day. It was very much about proximity. Whereas now, because the world has opened up because of the internet and because of travel and everything, you have more agency and also responsibility for finding your own community. And yet it's really hard when kids get quiet and especially boys go through a quiet phase. And so Mm -hmm. naming is so important, but that requires sort of an ability to be verbal or at least to identify within yourself Mm -hmm. who you are and who you want to be around. It's hard. Yeah, Yeah, we've talked about this before with boys. It it is that that tricky thing, especially with boys and with girls too. When they shut the door and they don't want to talk, the fine line between respecting their autonomy and enabling them shutting down. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So we like to close every podcast with a practical puberty Mm. tip is what I was calling it. And Cara was calling it a practical puberty pearl. Okay. Neither of which I think are going to be forever named. So could you take it to the writer's room and come back? (laughs) (laughs) Because tip and pearl both have like euphemistic puberty meanings, Mm -hmm. neither of which I think we really want to engage with in the podcast. So um, a puberty hack. A puberty okay. hack, but yeah, we no, really okay. like alliteration in oh, case okay. you couldn't tell with the okay. puberty. Okay. And we okay. can't call yeah. it the practical puberty penis or something sure. like that because that doesn't actually mean yeah. anything. <laughs> you just wanted to say I penis. just wanted yeah. to say it yeah. all in line. So t- give us your uh-huh. practical. A puberty pointer. Oh, maybe well, that's, that's euphemistic it. also. Oh. Sorry. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, but like so everything yeah. is basically, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> um, 
So your practical puberty advice, you can do it as a kid who is an early bloomer, uh-huh. as an adult who is working in the space of puberty, as a parent just trying to do the best that he can for his kids, any any of those things. What is like one nugget that you'd love to share with our audience? This is terrible. And it's you the can first think, thing that popped into my head. What's the first thing that popped into your head? <laughs> this is so bad. <laughs> Say it. Um, it's it's for boys. <laughs> That when you get a boner to tuck it to tuck it into your waistband, but don't forget that you tucked it into your waistband because then you lift your shirt up, you got your penis head sticking out of the top. <laughs> that is a very practical. <laughs> that's a that's a practical. Is that exactly what you were looking that for? That is a practical puberty tip. Uh-huh. It's also a That's practical a puberty penis. And a, and a pointer, yeah. And a it's practical a, puberty Maybe I thought pointer. of that because you said penis. Sorry, right? I may have like yeah. fed you that. But by the way, that is like a logistical worry that sure. many, many boys have. Yeah. And no, if you don't talk about it, nobody uh-huh. knows. And it's really helpful because they get boners all the time in yeah. all different places. We've done an episode about boners, which will come out. And sorry, uh, keep doing these <laughs> and um but it's a thing especially it's at that age thing. you got no control right no. yeah right so i love thank you uh-huh. that is deeply practical and it's also as as a doctor you can it's also doesn't mean that you got horny no. at the moment it's yeah no i mean i i think we talked about it, this in the in the episode about boners and wet dreams but i mean your boys it's weird are that you a, didn't have me in for that <laughs> <laughs> when we do our episode on masturbation we'll yeah. have you back 100 <laughs> percent. thank, you. thank but you. you you're on this clock you're on this cycle i think it's like yeah. every 90 minutes i mean it's really uh-huh. yeah it's for for mm-hmm. no no fault of anyone or yeah all right so tuck your boner into your waistband and enjoy it while it lasts kids <laughs> <laughs> my practical puberty piece of advice would be to talk about the stuff even as an adult even if as an adult it's embarrassing the not knowing the not knowing who to go to the not knowing what's going on is much harder than mm-hmm. just feeling embarrassed and ashamed yeah. And it gets less and less embarrassing the more you do it. It gets easier. Yeah. You build the muscle of talking mm-hmm. about it. You embarrass yourself less. You embarrass others more. It all yeah. comes out in the wash. Um, mine, I think, is based on a comment that you made, Andrew, about being physically advanced, but emotionally and organizationally, you felt almost behind. Uh-huh. Um, I just want to call that out and say that is so not just normal. That is how it works. Yeah. That emotional maturity and organizational and behavioral and intellectual maturity, those are really chronological and those develop much more slowly. And how your body shifts and changes is completely out of whack with that other timetable. And just to for parents to recognize that, that their kids may look older or look younger, but mm. all those other paths are going to take whatever time they're going to take and they go a little slower. And mm-hmm. that's as the movie that you watch, the formative movie, Am I Normal? <laughs> that's completely normal. Yes. And you can the, ask the zookeeper. And it's, yes. According to him, it's the same thing with polar bears as well. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much for coming in. We're so grateful. Thank you for me. We love having you. We hope we get to have you back for the masturbation episode. <laughs> thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com